We are going to energize the country. Stop Brexit. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Seamus and not sure this is a great idea. Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by uh, the current chair of the Mongolian British uh, (laughs) Chamber of Commerce and the uh, former Labour MP for the seats of Selby from 1997 to 2010 and Keithley from 2017 to 2019. John Grogan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much indeed. Um, So the uh, first question that I I'd like to ask is um, the recent general election that seemed to be quite a, a shock at the, the scale of the defeat for the Labour Party for a lot of people involved. How did you uh, feel at the time uh, of the result? Well, I think I could see it coming uh, for the for the days beforehand. I remember my agent on the day uh, was looking on Twitter and said, oh, there's going to be a youthquake, John, and uh, we're going to win this easy. Uh, but I I doubted that having knocked on hundreds of doors. Uh, And I think based on the experience of 2017, many party supporters thought, well, well, it will come back to us. And in essence, the opinion polls hardly uh, changed, at least the gap hardly changed in the whole course of the election, really. So uh, I lived in hope right the way through to the count. And indeed, the swing in Keithley was not too bad in the uh, general scheme of things. It was just over 2%. So I was only defending a majority of 246. I lost by something over 2,000. So, uh, uh, yeah, disappointed, but uh, not uh, unduly surprised, I think. Uh, Now, one of the um, results from uh, the general election loss is, of course, uh, Jeremy Corbyn stepping down as uh, leader of the Labour Party and the um, Labour leadership contest. I just wondered if um, you could uh, tell the listeners uh, who you're supporting in the uh, Labour leadership and and why. Yeah, very, very uh, soon after the uh, election, one of my greatest uh, friends in politics, who's still an MP, Judith Cummings, is the MP in Bradford South, rang me up and said, uh, are you going to support Keir Starmer? And I said, give me a couple of hours and uh, I'll ring you back. And I thought about it for a couple of hours and rang her back. And the two of us have been organizing Yorkshire uh, for the Keir Starmer campaign ever since, really. And uh, I think he's the standout candidate. I think he's grown as the campaign has gone on. I saw him in York last week and he was a level above uh, what he'd been a month ago when I, when I saw him in Leeds. I think he'd be good at running a team, uh, having done a big job uh, as the director of prosecutions uh, in the past. Um, I think uh, he'll be uh, good at keeping people together. And I think you move us a little bit back into the uh, political mainstream, if you like. And I think you'll also be good at uh, holding the Conservatives to account in, in Parliament and making sure his team does. It's a long, long haul back. If you look at the latest opinion polls, <laughs> yeah. Tories on nearly 50%, I think. And, you know, we're on about 30%, so even worse than the election. So it's had a long, long haul back. But I just think in uh, four years' time, nearly five years' time, when we have another election, the days of uh, uh, sort of right-wing populists, if you like, like President Trump and Boris Johnson to some extent, they may be gone and, and someone uh, of a more serious stature like Keir, maybe that will be his time. So uh, we'll see. But I think he's going to win. I think he's going to win now. Um, how do you think he will deal with the um, upcoming local elections? I mean, there's sort of a bit of an uncertainty as to whether they'll take place, obviously, with, yeah, the, yeah. with the, uh, the coronavirus that's going around yes. at the moment. Um, but yeah. I wonder, how do you think he would he would tackle them? 
Well, he'll have to be quick off the mark, won't he? And I, I, the, the virus is obviously hanging over all politics at the moment. And I was talking with some friends this morning, you know, will the even the uh, there's meant to be a, a conference where the result is announced in early April in London. And that would obviously be a platform for him to begin to campaign in the local elections. But it, I would doubt whether that event uh, is likely to happen really in uh, three or so weeks time. Uh, and so um, a lot of it will have to be done through television and so on. I think it must be a 50-50 call whether those elections take place uh, in May. I mean, the uh, uh, the obvious precedent it was foot and mouth, which I think put back the elections uh, at least a month uh, when that was happening under the Tony Blair government. Uh, I suppose if they are postponed, that gives him a little bit more time uh, because um, what he won't want is a, is a bad result uh, uh, to start his leadership off. Uh, so he'll really have to hit the ground running uh, and uh, uh, make one or two big announcements, I think, in, in those first few weeks to draw attention because uh, people are not going to be interested in the Labour Party really for some time is the honest-to-goodness truth and just fighting for attention even as the major opposition party is going to be a challenge for him. But I think uh, one thing he can do is is create a new team and uh, I think that's something that will get attention and will, uh, uh, if it's a broad-based team, bring back a few people maybe who've uh, talents have not been used in recent years but also bringing on some new people I think that might just indicate to the population that the Labour Party is under new management. And I think that would give us a boost in the opinion polls in itself. Uh, now, you mentioned um, the party drawing attention to itself, but of course, yeah. something that has been uh, drawing a lot of attention to itself uh, recently yeah. has been the budget. What, what have your thoughts yes. been on uh, on that? Well, obviously a remarkable uh, turnaround in politics when you have uh, uh, the former Prime Minister, Theresa May, uh, um, gently hintling, well, more than gently, uh, to a party about uh, fiscal responsibility and so on. So I'm glad, I'm glad to see that the argument about borrowing to invest has now been won. I mean, that, really, that could have been done at any t time in the last 10 years, but that now has become part of the political consensus, and that's good. I, I don't believe that it's the end of austerity myself in the sense that all the local government services, uh, whether that be uh, libraries or refuse or to some extent uh, schools as well and so on, there's no big uh, boosts in expenditure in many of those services. Uh, and so as, a, as someone who represented a Yorkshire Northern seat, it's good uh, that we're going to have uh, more investment in the North. I'm pleased to see some movement on devolution as well. But in the end, I think if we're really going to transform the North, uh, we're going to have to transfer a lot more power uh, to the North uh, and devolve it rather than make decisions in Whitehall. So, for example, it's good to have 25 million in the town I represented, Keithley, in the neighbouring town of Shipley. But really, can't the decision on how to spend that be made entirely locally? Why does it have to be referred back to Whitehall? And uh, so, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a turnaround in politics. Um, but uh, as far as day to day expenditure on many of the services that people rely on, uh, there was disappointingly little change. 
Um, now, you mentioned devolution there, and yeah. uh, recently there has been moves for uh, West Yorkshire devolution with a, a 1.8 uh, billion devolution yes. deal, uh, yeah. including um, an elected mayor for West Yorkshire. Yes. What do you think is the significance of West Yorkshire having its own elected mayor? Well, I think the first thing is that it's good that it's West Yorkshire rather than the Leeds City region. It sounds an arcane debate, but there was a little bit of a debate over the last two or three weeks uh, in the county about what it should be called. And I, I think uh, West Yorkshire is more uh, inclusive than the Leeds City region would have been. Um, it's, you, it is a big figure, though I think that's over 30 years. So you're, you're looking at about uh, 40 million a year, but that's welcome. Uh, I mean, uh, fairly small in the scale of all the cuts that happened over the last 10 years, but it is welcome. And it will mean there'll be a champion uh, for the region, uh, initially having powers over transport and skills as well as the uh, as well as the amount of money that we've uh, both been discussing uh, and uh, and potentially over policing and, and crime uh, and uh, disorder and so on uh, in uh, a few years' time. So it's a significant step. I preferred, as did many council leaders in Yorkshire from both parties, having a, a, an arrangement for Yorkshire as a whole and having uh, a one Yorkshire uh, mayor and uh, cabinet of council leaders. Um, the government always resisted that. And I think when they won a big majority of the election, uh, I was at, the, at my count, the leader of Bradford was there. And uh, as we were waiting for the results and I, I thought I was going to lose, I said to her, well, you'll have to do a deal now, won't you really, uh, on the West Yorkshire basis. And so that's what's has been done because it had to be done. Um, but I'd hope, um, and there is some provision in the small print of the deal that there will be, uh, well, there is already a, a one Yorkshire board of, of mayors in the county and leaders of the council. And the government's putting in a bit of money uh, so that some things can be done at a one Yorkshire level, uh, hopefully with the mayors of South Yorkshire and West Yorkshire and potentially if there are uh, deals done in uh, East Yorkshire and Holland, North Yorkshire, that they can all at least cooperate on some things. And I think many people in the county would like, under a future government, to, to see a, a one Yorkshire arrangement, because that's that really is the brand, if you like, the identity that uh, people feel the strongest. Why do you think there is um, growing support for devolution? Because if you go back to... Um 2004, there was, of course, the um, North East England uh, devolution referendum, which yes. um, uh, rejected an elected assembly for the region. Why do you think there's been a, a change? Yeah, well, I mean, I think one of the problems that I was involved in that uh, campaign and, and, and we never had a, a referendum in Yorkshire because that was going to be next. One of the problems was there was really no powers of any note at all being devolved uh, to uh, the northeast and people felt well why are we going to have another layer of government when it's not going to do anything and I, I think uh, uh, John Prescott was a big advocate of it in the Labour government the Deputy Prime Minister at the time and he was sort of humoured uh, um, a little bit with it but he never really felt that Tony Blair's heart was particularly in it or indeed many of the other members of the cabinet. Now of course since then, um, we've had uh, devolution uh, bedded in and established and uh, grown, not just in uh, the nations, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, over the intervening uh, uh, decade and more, but also in London and Manchester and so on, with and the West Midlands, with more substantial powers. Uh, and so I think you can see the example now of Sadiq Khan, shall we say, or Andy Burnham in Manchester, 
and you, people throughout the country, including in the north, can see that the value of having uh, a politician who everyone knows the name of, you know, and Ben uh, mm. uh, uh, in in the, the Tory in the Tees Valley as well. Another example of how local mayors can be better known than many MPs and obviously that causes a bit of jealousy <laughs> with some of the local MPs but I think people have come around to the idea well you know if they've got one in Manchester and the Sadiq Khan in London and so on we're missing out and uh, so I think that's probably led to a change of, um, of heart as well. How much do you think that um, the support for devolution has been uh, a pushback against people feeling left behind by globalisation, because that's a mm. um, a remark yes. that some people have made in relation yeah. to that. How true do you think that is? No, I, I think that it has a lot of uh, force and strength to it. And obviously the campaign in, uh, around getting the ref- referendum was take back control and so on and things. And so uh, that chimes with that sentiment in society. Um, and if you look around uh, Europe and wider as a whole, cities uh, in my lifetime, I'm 59. And at one time I worked uh, a long while ago now, uh, uh, 25 years ago, or whatever, worked in Leeds and about that time for the city council it was the start of the uh, if you like the revival of the uh, great cities of, of particularly England outside London uh, Birmingham, Liverpool, Manchester and so on uh, were reviving in confidence and uh, people felt an affinity with them, I think it's true also of the, of the county of Yorkshire uh, because it, it, it really is a, an important part of people's identity really, they, uh, many people uh, feel a part of Leeds or a part of Yorkshire as strongly as they feel English or British and if decisions can be made at that level um, I think people feel more in control and also I think you get better decisions really uh, you, you know why should you be deciding about uh, whether a particular road should go ahead in Yorkshire and, and have to sign it off in Whitehall it doesn't really make sense if, it, if it's a, a, role of reg- a road of regional rather than national significance um, now, I just wanted um, to turn uh, to your time as a Member of Parliament. Yes. And I just wondered, you've uh, served under three different uh, parliamentary leaders of the Labour Party, Tony Blair, Gordon yes. Brown and Jeremy Corbyn. I wondered what sort of differences you felt were apparent in the way that they led the Parliamentary Labour Party. Well, um, in the early days, because I was elected in 1997, and so you had these two giant figures uh, on the left of British politics, Blair and Brown, who'd won an election uh, by big majority. And um, uh, really, they didn't have to have a great deal to do with any new backbenchers like myself. You know, they wouldn't be in the tea rooms very much or whatever, because there was a big majority there. And uh, I suppose they felt uh, that they'd got elected on a new Labour programme and, and, you know, they were going to guide it. And in fact, many, many ministers, junior ministers, I think had less influence than special advisers, you know, and obviously that might have some resonance with today's Conservative administration in a big majority. And so it, it um, uh, I, yeah, I'm 
I was always very proud to be a Labour MP and I um, I'm proud of the achievements we had. I actually fell into a role. I voted against the Iraq war and so on and things. And so, and then I got involved in various other rebellions because I thought it was important that when we had a big majority, there had to be some challenge really uh, to various policies. And I found a role in there. Now, so, but it, so it was a very, um, uh, certainly till the end of the Brown administration when it began to uh, loosen up and uh, uh, begin to become slightly more disorganized if you like it was it was very the power was very centralized under the uh, you know the height of Blair's power and the height of Brown's power and um, uh, you could get access to the Prime Minister and the Chancellor of the Exchequer um, but um, it, uh, and I over the Selby Coalfield closures, for example, I, I you know I had I made some uh, gains there. But um, to really have influence, occasionally I think you had to say you had to stand up to the machine because it was a very powerful machine. In the case of Jeremy Corbyn, again you had a very um, I, I, there were no real better at uh, involving backbenchers I don't think uh, Jeremy wasn't <laughs> obviously probably for different reasons I wasn't there in the really unpleasant period in 2016 so I came in in 2017 uh, and uh, obviously the, the office around Jeremy were suspicious of many Labour MPs if we're honest and, and didn't really uh, engage enough I think probably Jeremy's big mistake if there was one was it's good uh, however you are as a leader and to some extent Tony Blair appointed some people like John Cruddus I remember they're very different to him but you've got to appoint people to your staff who who think differently to you and uh, are going to challenge you and it was always a little bit of a bunker I thought with Jeremy that it was people who who he felt comfortable with over many over many decades and uh um, we're not really going to challenge him and we're not going to uh, try and engage the Parliamentary Labour Party very much. Um, now, uh, you, you mentioned there some of the, the tensions that uh, were yes. in uh, the Parliamentary Labour Party. Mm. I wonder, um, how do you feel that the public perception of MPs have changed since uh, when you were first elected in 1997 to uh, then uh, returning for, for Keith Lee in, in 2017? Yeah, well, I, firstly, I don't. I think there's always a healthy scepticism about members of parliament and power on the part of the public, and you know that's gone back centuries. When the houses of parliament burned down in, I think, the 1840s, the populace on the other side of the Thames cheered, and and you know, and so to some extent, that has always that scepticism has always been there. I think, obviously, the expenses scandal was a terrible time in 2009, 2010, and that broke the trust that many people at least had with their own individual MP, I think. You know, many people were a bit sceptical about politics in general, but they had, in some cases, they had strong bonds with the local MP. Even that was threatened in 2010. And then, obviously, the growth of social media has completely changed the dynamic, really. When I was first an MP, I used to take on a big box of letters every week uh, and that's only 20 years ago <laughs> you know when I was the MP for Keithley I'd barely get two or three letters a week uh, and it was uh, all emails and social media uh, and so much more immediate but um, even on even yeah I'm, I've it's a, you've got to be robust um, as a member of parliament uh, I mean the, in most cases I think people are reasonable. Obviously, there's some terrible cases when they haven't been. Uh, 
and it, it is it can be tough sometimes but there is a need to have a thick skin i guess um i just wonder uh, how do you uh, think that new mps uh, coming in under uh, the recent election in the conservative yeah. uh, government will be feeling uh, about the role uh, given that in certain seats, uh, particularly in the North, and yes. they won't have had a Conservative MP before. Do you think that there's going to be a sort of a, a tension uh, there in how they represent their constituents or, or what? Well, I, I, I mean, there's there's some good ones, have you? I, in the new intake on both sides, but, I, you know, I've met some and listened to uh, uh, some Conservatives who will be formidable representative, uh, representatives, I think. I mean, I think they'd be all very keen and eager. I, I can remember <laughs> I was the, you know, when I was first in, and I hope I kept some of that keenness uh, down the years. And uh, uh, I think they'll be anxious to get bedded in in their constituencies and uh, go around and get to know people. I mean, I think one political uh, dynamic which will be interesting now is obviously on the government's desk is whether they reduce the number of uh, constituencies because there's an outstanding um, boundary commission report which would reduce the number of constituencies by 50 and the conservatives uh, initiated this because they thought it would be in their interest now in the north of england many of their new mps would be affected by this so you know at the time they're wanting to become uh, mr or ms uh, local and and uh, um really uh, uh get a good strong identity with their local constituency many of them won't want to be losing or changing those boundaries. So I think that would be interesting in the next year or two to see whether the government pursues that boundary change or whether um, it amends it and maybe has keeps the same number of seats. Um, but it will be, uh, for some, it will be uh, a bit of, of a culture clash. You know, there'll be some MPs who didn't expect to be there. <laughs> and uh, I can remember uh, when Labour got in in 1997, I think uh, Peter Mandelson, who was one of Tony Blair's uh, right-hand men uh, at the time, famously remarked uh, after election day, who are all these people? Because he'd, you know, he'd got lots of MPs like me who he didn't expect to have. So I suspect there was uh, a number, number 10 Downing Street on the Friday after the election there was a hurried look at uh, who some of these uh, new Tories were. Um, now, at the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned that you're the chair of the Mongolian uh, yes. British Chamber of Commerce. Yes. I wondered if you could just um, explain yes. your, your interest and your, your connection to Mongolia. Yeah, yeah. well, firstly, Mongolia is a proud democracy, I'll have you know, uh, <laughs> in between China and Russia. And uh, uh, it exported Kashmir, or still does, to Yorkshire. And uh, when I, I said I worked for the City Council, and uh, um, the Lord Mayor went there in the 90s because uh, Burton's Clothing, which was a big Leeds clothing group at the time, the patriarch of that group had gone out to Mongolia just the once and uh, fell in love with it. Uh, so I knew a bit about Mongolia when I went to Parliament, and it, it's half the size of Western Europe, uh, three million people uh, and so I got involved in the, the all party group for Mongolia there's lots of groups in parliament of different interest groups bringing MPs from all parties together now there was obviously lots of people might want to be the chair of the all party United States group or the China group but there's not much competition for the all party Mongolia group and when I retired in parliament in 2010 for the first time I got a bit, bit of a business background so the uh, the ambassador asked me to set up a chamber of commerce so uh, I've 
done that and uh, since I lost in um, uh, December I've uh, revived it and uh, so we encourage economic links between the United Kingdom and Mongolia there's all sorts of people over there including Cambridge University and uh, different architects and lawyers and all, all sorts of people and our main proportional activity is a uh, uh, a burn supper in minus 40 in January so there we are um, uh, so it'll, it'll keep me occupied I think uh, so, uh, yeah uh, we're, we're coming towards the end of the podcast. It's been yes. a great to speak to you, John. And I'd just like to ask you one final question. Now, I yes. know, and I say this as a Yorkshireman myself, yes. I say uh, you are very much proud of being from Yorkshire. Yes. And I, I, I just wondered, uh, finally, what would you say is the one thing that makes you proudest to be from Yorkshire? Well, I suppose it's a, a cliche uh but the the people uh, the range actually of um uh, people from the you know the industry to the coast uh, to the great cities and so on I think that's what Yorkshire has to offer some people say that devolution should just be about cities, but I think if we could get Yorkshire together as a whole, we would offer well it's as big as scotland in terms of population and so with that range i think could give us a place not just on the national but on the international stage and i i hope to live to see it well i think that that's a sentiment i certainly agree with and one i think a lot of our our listeners uh, will agree with as well thank you once again for coming on thank you Thank you for listening to the podcast. Don't forget that you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean or YouTube. You can follow us at Debated Podcast on Twitter, like us, Debated Podcast on Facebook. And if you want to email us, either about appearing or making a comment or reaction to the episode you've heard or any other episodes, then email us thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.